Good morning. Welcome to Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. We're so glad you've joined us this morning. My name is Pastor Roy and I'm the lead pastor here. And we're so glad that you've joined our online Easter experience. Now you might be at home, maybe you're still in your pajamas, you're gathered around your TV, your phone, your tablet, computer. Maybe you still are eating breakfast. That's okay. Because this is unlike anything we've experienced at Easter before. I've asked my daughter, Janelle, to paint an a Easter painting while I preach that coincides with my message. So you'll see that going on while I'm preaching. But like I said, it's so strange to not gather together in church on Good Friday, Easter Sunday. But I think what it is, is a reminder that during this time, things just aren't normal. There's a lot of things, people, we're facing a lot of things where people are losing their jobs and financial hardships. And we just don't know, there's so much uncertainty. And to make matters worse, we have these what-ifs that go through our head where we run, run these scenarios of, what if I get the COVID-19 virus? What if one of my family members does? What if my parents or my in-laws? In that moment, everything would change. I remember a time when everything changed for me with my health. Exactly two years ago, I came down with Bell's Palsy. Now, I remember it was two years ago because I preached an Easter sermon with Bell's Palsy. Palsy is a loss of movement in, in an area. Bell's palsy is sudden loss of movement in your face. For me, it was the loss of my, the facial muscles on my left side stopped working. I suddenly couldn't blink my left eye. When I smiled, this whole side would not move. And it caused my speech to slur, slur uh, maybe it still is, slur slightly. Without being able to blink, my eye was often dry and sore. There's no definitive cause of what where Bell's palsy comes from. However, doctors have noticed that it often comes following a common virus. The month before, I had been bedridden for a few days with what seemed like strep throat. And it hung on for a couple of weeks. And just when I felt 100% again, I showed signs of Bell's palsy. When the symptoms first came, I thought, am I having a stroke? I mean, my speech was impaired and I first noticed it when I was trying to drink through a straw. And I thought that the straw was broken because it just wasn't working. But what was really happening was my lips were leaning to one side as I tried to sip the drink. I couldn't create any suction. And like I said, it was scary at first. I went to the ER and the doctors knew right away what was going on. They gave me some antibiotics for the first few days that would help in the initial stages. But they let me know this, that this condition could last anywhere from two weeks to six months. However, if I passed the six-month mark and I still had it, there was a very good chance that it would be permanent. In that moment, it felt like the worst. It was the Thursday leading into Easter. And that Sunday, I was going to preach my first ever Easter Sunday message. And I couldn't even trust that the words that would come out would not be slurred or skewed. I prayed, God, please give me back my normal. Isn't that the cry of our hearts right now? During this whole pandemic, God, can we just please have our normal back? Maybe you're watching this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a church person or a person of prayer, but the thought has crossed your mind over and over. When can things just go back to normal? Or I just want life to look like it did before. I think we've all thought this. Or maybe it's even a wish. Or maybe it's a declaration. We say things like, well, when things go back to normal, I will or I, w I might. This morning, I want to look at a story. 
that Luke tells in one of his letters in the New Testament about Jesus. Now, before we jump in, you need to know this. Luke was not one of Jesus' original disciples. In fact, he never met Jesus in the flesh. He did, however, come on the scene after and started to gather an account of Jesus' life through what had already been written and with, with those that were interviewing, or those he would interview that did walk with Jesus. Now, by all accounts, Luke was a very educated man. History tells us this. Trained as a physician and therefore very meticulous in the details of his writing. You'll find this attention to detail throughout his letter, making him a historian's dream. And one of the stories that he relays in his letter is this about this encounter Jesus has with a man that's affected with palsy. This isn't the type of palsy that just affects the side of your face, but this is palsy that affects the better portion of his body. In fact, he's paralyzed. And the text isn't clear about whether he was born this way, but there is a suggestion that he was afflicted by it later in life, that he once had a normal. Palsy at that time could have been brought on by a bunch of different things. It could have been a form of muscular dystrophy, perhaps progressive in nature, or it could have been the result of some spinal trauma, maybe a hard fall, maybe it was a genetic disorder. It's even possible that it was caused by syphilis, which in ancient times could often lead to forms of paralysis. Whatever it was, he had ideas of what normal could look like, or how he could get back there. So at some point, he hears that there's a man named Jesus, and he's been healing the sick, and blind, and lame, and maybe, just maybe, he can recapture his normal. Maybe he can get back to the way life was before. Maybe life can go back to his normal. This morning I want to look at Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. It says this, One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. And they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Now, this was very early in Jesus' ministry, but already his reputation preceded him. Crowds would flock to hear him, or, or seek healing, or, or see miracles, and the Pharisees were equally interested to hear what Jesus had to say. The Pharisees, if you don't know, were the legalistic religious leaders of the day. And they did not like Jesus. They did not like how he threatened their comfy way of life. He did not like how he challenged their religious rules. His words and his actions had caused great levels of discomfort in their circles. So for the Pharisees, they had their religion, and they protected it with everything they had. Not only did they hold tightly to the Old Testament laws, but they decided that wasn't enough. So they added over 6,000 of their own man-made laws to have to keep in order to please God. Jesus, in Matthew 23, would later call that a burden that no one could carry. Their attempt to keep the law was noble, but along the way they made it so complex, so complicated, that they had actually obscured the spirit and true intent of God's law. In essence, they built a protective wall so high around those laws that they also kept people out from God. Now, we often talk about the Pharisees. We, they're often villainized. And it's because of some of those, the way, the way they treated the God's laws. But what you need to understand is this. Their obedience to the law came from a very pure place. Because the Jewish people had a history of disobeying the laws God put in place for their own safety. And they would rise as a nation as they kept those laws, but then they would turn their back on God, and they would fall. They would recommit themselves to worshiping God all over again, 
and rise again only to repeat the same pattern and fall. In around 600 BC, after having the nation wiped out and thrown into captivity, the Babylonians decide they're going to set the Jewish people free and allow them to once again reestablish their nation. And it was at this time a man named Ezra came before the people and challenged them to recommit themselves to putting God's word back in its proper place in their lives. To live by the law, put aside their idols for good, and worship the one true God. And he warned that if they failed to do this, the nation would continue to follow this up and down pattern of pride and fall, pride and fall. So a group of the people made it their goal to make sure that God's law always stayed at the forefront of their conscience. And it was a good thing. And over the course of several hundred years, the protection of the law developed into something that began as pure and turned into, that turned into something that looked like hypocrisy and self-righteousness, unhealthy spiritual pride, with man-made rules that looked a lot like self-loving people and less like a loving God. But others in this system looked at the elitist, self-righteous group as the authority when it came to all things spiritual. And their illegalistic delusion was the pathway to God. So now you put the contrast of these same men who say that they love God and they are standing mere feet away from Jesus, God in human form, and they don't even recognize him. In fact, they're sitting so close and, so, and looking to trip him up and want nothing to do with him but kill him. Verse 18 says this. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, now let's just pause there for a second. Again, standing room only, and these guys, actually Mark's account says that there were four of them. And they load up their paralytic buddy on a mat, and they realize quickly there's no way we're getting anywhere near Jesus. The place is too packed. Nobody's going to give up their seat. Nobody's even going to move to let us get in there. So they decide that because their, their friend is so desperate, so desperate not to suffer from this affliction anymore, that they're going to get creative. So they take their friend on his mat, and it's likely the mat was more of a stretcher probably a mat with a wooden frame around it that they would often use to transport him. And the, and the scripture goes on to say, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Now, houses of Jesus' day were often built one story high, made out of wood and mud. And often there was a spot in the middle of the roof that acted sort of, sort of as a rooftop, rooftop patio. And a set of exterior stairs would lead you up there. And it wouldn't be uncommon to sleep up there on warm nights. Sometimes eat there. Many times the patio was right over top of the common courtyard inside. Likely where Jesus would have picked to teach those inside the house. So these friends get up and they drag their friend to the roof. And they start digging through these mud tiles on the roof. And they lower their friend right down in front of Jesus. Now I've seen inspirational posters that say never ever give up but I think when you take a look at this group of guys that have decided that they're not going to take no for an answer that they've climbed on the roof with this man on a mat they've dug through the the mud the mud roof and they lowered their friend down before Jesus I mean that's the ultimate never give up poster verse 20 says this 
When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. There's definitely a couple different storylines going on here. First, there's the Pharisees who are looking for anything that Jesus could say or do to indict himself. And as soon as they saw dirt coming from the ceiling, and they're looking up at a man is being dropped down who could not help himself right in front of them, their eyes probably lit up. They're thinking, let's just see if he can actually heal somebody. And all eyes are on him. And Jesus makes this statement, your sins are forgiven. As you imagine, the air would have been sucked out of the room. The Pharisees thought they were about to witness a miracle. And what they got was more. They got a confession. Jesus forgives a man of his sins. Something that only God can do. Anyone to claim this right other than God has committed the ultimate sin of blasphemy. They now have a case to banish or even worse put to death. This man who has upset their elitist religious system. But in that moment... Jesus' eyes are locked with the man who is gasping for hope. This man has come hoping for a return to normal, but Jesus wanted so much more for him. Returning to his old normal was never the goal for Jesus. A life of restored physical abilities would indeed restore the status, this man's status to the Jewish society. He'd now be able to work. He'd now be able to attend the temple. Life as he knew it would go back to normal, but his eternal destiny would remain paralyzed. So before he tells him to get up, Jesus forgives him of his sin. And while no words were exchanged, there would have been something Jesus saw in his eyes that was seeking forgiveness, that wanted more than a healing physical touch from the Son of God. Now I have to admit, this is not your classic Easter story. But I believe it is so tied to the Easter story, especially during the times that we are living. Because 2,000 years ago, God wanted something more for you. Wanted something more for mankind. He didn't want people just to obey the law and keep God happy and get by. He actually wanted you to discover a freedom. A freedom from sin, from shame, a freedom from guilt. He wants more for you than just making it through this life. In fact... God has eternal plans for your life. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross, take your sin, take my sin, defeat death, death, and then rise again, paving a way for each of us to heaven. He didn't want you to just return to your normal. And I believe he'd say that to you today. While many of us during this time are afraid, we're frustrated, we're full of angst and worry, in the moment where we just get lost in our thoughts and we just want to cry out, I want things to go back to normal. I think he'd say this to you. I have something better for you than your normal. 
In the midst of your fear, in the midst of your uncertainty, turn your eyes on me. Put your faith in me and let me lead you into something better than normal. What if God's plan was for you to come out the other side of this pandemic changed forever? A little more compassionate, more understanding of each other, bolder, more confident, loving better, confident in who he is, confident in who he made you to be? What if the normal that you crave pales in comparison to what he wants for you? See, God didn't send his son to die on a cross for you to settle into normal. He desires so much more. On the Easter morning, Jesus stepped out of a tomb. And what was on the horizon for mankind would change the world. As you step out and we come to the other side of this pandemic and as you look out onto the horizon, what do you see? Is it going back to normal? Or is it possible that God is using this time right now to prepare you for something greater? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you sent your son to die for us. I thank you that you have an incredible plan for each person that's hearing my voice right now. That you don't want us to settle for normal. That you don't want us to settle for anything than your best. God, I believe that as we come out the other side of this pandemic, God, that you are going to use your people in a mighty, mighty way. That you're going to allow people in this time to grow. And so, God, I pray that, uh, that we would not just crave normal, that we would crave more, your more. And so, Lord, I, I'm just so thankful that 2,000 years ago, you saw way more for us than even we wanted for ourselves. You saw eternity, and you sent your son to die and bleed on a cross for, on our, for our behalf so that we can spend eternity with you. And so, God, I, I just thank you on this Easter as we reflect and we remember. And, God, I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.